My guest today is a showrunner and host of the incredible podcast, Learning Hack, and another great production, Great Minds on Learning. I'm excited to chat with him today. John Helmer, welcome. Welcome uh, to you, Kevin. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. Absolutely. So I, I was getting my day started as I have been uh, for the past few months with your podcast, uh, The Learning Hack, and I love not only the programming and the guests that you bring, but also you have a great, uh, a really great energy and a way to make relevant topics in the learning and industry entertaining. Even just getting fired up listening to your intro reminded me a lot of, and I hope you, you, you know this person, Bill Nye, the science guy. That's what The Learning Hack reminds me of. You know, it's a great intro. It's a great way to, to, to start my day. Um, I think I'm, I'm curious for you, you know, where the, the idea for The Learning Hack came from. Why was it important for you to, to, to create The Learning Hack? Uh, we started about 2019, which, um, because it's on the other side of the pandemic, doesn't it? Was, it was kind of my latest redundancy. I, you know, mostly I, I work as a freelance consultant, then people decide that they want to give me jobs to get me inside the firewall. Uh, and then the company gets bought up by another company, as inevitably happens in Learn Tech. And I got made redundant. And people said, um, you know, what, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll go back to consulting, I suppose. And they, and they said, well, listen, you, you ran this um, 60-page glossy magazine that you were doing for the company, and it was full of interviews, and you seem to be good at interviewing. Um, and we think you've got a nice voice. Why don't you do podcasts? <laughs> so I thought about that for a year. Uh, and then I started the podcast. So I didn't have much idea uh, what to do, apart from the fact that, you know, having been in the learn tech industry for quite a while, I had a pretty good black book. Um, and I talked to a lot of interesting people. And I, I just got my, my little portable recorder and went out and started recording conversations with them. Um, and and then started selling advertising, which I, I thought was, that happened remarkably quickly. In fact, with the first one, I had a, a, a sponsor. Wow. So I thought, well, this is great. I mean, it's not lucrative, you know, don't get too excited, <laughs> folks. Rates in podcast advertising are pretty low. You can't really uh, live on it. But it certainly defrayed us out at the expense. And um, so that's how it got started. And then the second one came along because I had a long association with, with Donald Clark. He used to be my boss at a, a content creation company called Epic. I worked back in the um, in the noughties as his head of marketing. And we'd known each other a lot over the years. Um, and he had this blog. And he, you know, I can't remember who came up with the idea, but we uh, we thought, why, why don't, you know, we turn this into a podcast? And he, he has a blog which, I should say, covers learning theory from the Greeks to the geeks, two and a half thousand years of um, of learning theory. He would regularly do conference uh, talks on this theme as well, which kind of brought the house down. So it was pretty much, a, you know, it, 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 there was indications there that, that this would be a, a popular thing, and it has to prove to be that. Uh, I'm curious, you know, how you go about beginning to design a learning podcast because it's not a, a, a typical format that we see in e-learning. It's you know taking, uh, honing in on a particular relevant topic, but then you also embed, you know, th there's obvious instructional design that goes into the podcast and each episode, whether that's the opening monologue and finding a focus and a theme, but also you know the way that you've designed it. You have the uh, before each episode, at the beginning of each episode, is a head of fact where you provide a lot of context, a head of themes, 
and it's like a, a reimagining of, of learning objectives. And and j- j- just curious, how how do you go about you know selecting the the, the topic, and then how do you go how, how do you go about designing the format of of this particular learning experience? Well, I, I don't know. Perhaps you're giving me more credit than I really deserve. Yeah. The instructional design that goes into the construction of our podcast is zero. Yeah. <laughs> podcasts about learning, mm-hmm. they're not learning podcasts. Those, those two two things are very different. Uh, one of my recent interviewees um, is a guy for a company called Assemble You, uh, Richard Lacey, and they make actual learning podcasts, which yes. can, in theory, run from a learning management system um, and... Uh, have in an LMS alongside other types and formats, including video. Um, and they are done on strict instructional design um, principles, and, and they're much shorter. They're kind of like 10 minutes, whereas these very long, rambly ones. I, I, I suppose the, the formats that I looked at in defining the formats of our podcast were um, were more kind of media-related. And, you know, I have a background in in a creative background I was in a band for 10 years and another one where we did a series of television um, musicals for, for Channel 4, British Channel that was starting up at, at, at the same time and I've written a novel that, that was published so I'm kind of more, more familiar with that world in a way than the, than the world of ID but they do have a lot in common there's a lot of overlap when it comes to the head of fact head of themes thing I was really looking at kind of British TV shows, which, you know, your US listeners wouldn't necessarily know, but uh, I, I admired Jon Stewart, uh, The Daily Show, that kind of um, format. And we had a thing called The the, the, the MASH Report, which has got canned over here. Um, and there, there are various other things. Uh, there is kind of documentary format. I'm a big admirer of Adam Curtis and so on. So all, all those things fed into it. But I, I suppose having been in learning for like 20 years, a lot of that ID must have kind of rubbed off at some point. I know that you can't talk for ages and ages like I'm doing now. Yeah. That brain needed a, a rest. So we put in stings at regular intervals just to get people to, you know, kind of wake up um, and so on. Uh, occasionally we do little recaps as well, which is, is good instructional practice. Exactly, yeah. Something someone learned something from the podcast, and we know that people learn a great deal from Great Minds on Learning, especially. Um, but it's not consciously designed with Ebbinghaus principles in mind. Uh, I have to say, you know, mm-hmm. there's a degree of repetition that comes into it, um, which is because Donald and I are getting on a bit, I suspect. But that helps with your Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. Um, but it, it it it's kind of instinctive in a way, and we're, we're led by our interest, you know. And I'm certainly led by my interest. I don't want to have any boring people on the podcast, I'm afraid. And I I think that's important. Um, the, you know, uh, keeping things fresh, keeping things engaging, can be a bit underestimated in learning because it can get a bit worthy. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, how you go about beginning to design a learning podcast because it's not a, a, a typical format that we see in e-learning it's you know taking uh honing in on a particular relevant topic but then you also embed you know th- there's obvious instructional design that goes into the podcast and each episode whether that's the opening monologue and finding a focus and a theme but also you know the way that you've designed it you have the uh, before each episode at the beginning of each episode is a head of fact 
where you provide a lot of context ahead of themes. And it's like a, a reimagining of, of learning objectives. And, and just curious, how, how do you go about, you know, selecting the, the, the topic? And then how do you go, how, how'd you go about designing the format of, of this particular learning experience? Well, I, I don't know. Perhaps you're giving me more credit than I really deserve. Yeah. The instructional design that goes into the construction of our podcast is zero. Yeah. <laughs> podcasts about learning, they're not learning podcasts. Those, those two two things are very different. Uh, one of my recent interviewees um, is a guy for a company called Assemble You, uh, Richard Lacey, and they make actual learning podcasts, which yes. can, in theory, run from a learning management system um, and uh, have in an LMS alongside other types and formats, including video. Um, and they are done on strict instructional design um principles and they're much shorter they're kind of like 10 minutes whereas these very long rambly ones I, I, I suppose the the formats that I looked at in defining the formats of our podcast were um were more kind of media related and you know I have a background in in a creative background I was in a band for 10 years and another one where we did a series of television um musicals for for channel four british channel that's starting up at, at, at the same time and i've written a novel that, that was published so i'm kind of more, more familiar with that world in a way than the, than the world of id but they do have a lot in common there's a lot of overlap when it comes to the head of fact head of themes thing i was really looking at kind of british tv shows which you know your u.s listeners wouldn't necessarily know but uh, I, I admired John Stewart, uh, The Daily Show, that kind of um, format, and we had a thing called the the the, the Mash Report, which has got canned over here, um, and there there are various other things. Uh, there is kind of documentary format. I'm a big admirer of Adam Curtis and so on. So all all those things fed into it. But I, I suppose having been in learning for like twenty years, a lot of that ID must have kind of rubbed off at some point. I know that you can't talk for ages and ages like I'm doing now. Yeah. That brain needed a rest. So we put in stings at regular intervals just to get people to, you know, kind of wake up and um, so on. Uh, occasionally we do little recaps as well, which is, is good instructional practice. Exactly, yeah. Something Someone learns something from the podcast. And we know that people learn a great deal from Great Minds on Learning especially, um, but it's not consciously designed with... Ebbinghaus principles in mind, uh, I have to say. You know, mm -hmm. there's a degree of repetition that comes into it, um, which is because Donald and I are getting on a bit, I suspect. But that helps with your Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. Um, but it, it, it it's kind of instinctive in a way. And we're, we're led by our interest, you know, and I'm certainly led by my interest. I don't want to have any boring people on the podcast, I'm afraid. And I, I think that's important, um, the, you know, uh, keeping things fresh, keeping things engaging can be a bit underestimated in learning because it can get a bit worthy. I'm curious how, how the show evolved, you know, kind of where did you start and where were the major kind of design evolutions in the, in the episode to make it a, uh, to, to make the show kind of the format that it, that it is now? Um, I think the, it, it, it did kind of evolve bit by bit, but if I listen to the first one again, in a way it's kind of all there immediately, you know, I knew you had to have, um, had had to kind of grab people's attention. But, you know, I've, I worked in marketing before I worked in learning and I've done a lot of marketing jobs and I'm still a communications consultant for 
for learn tech firms. So the principles that um, are really kind of embedded in me are the ADA thing. Mm -hmm. uh, attention, get their attention, get their interest, excite desire or decision of some sort. Yes, I'm going to watch the rest of this thing. Um, and, and, and then action at the end, get them to do something else, you know, mm -hmm. set up to our Patreon or whatever. Um, so, so that's embedded with it. I, I think that evolved was the cold front. This is a kind of technical term, which, you know, people working video will be aware of is that, you know, cold front is where you just start straight in, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tell you this week about whatever with that. And then you go to the, the, the title music or whatever, um, and I think that's something that comes out of the marketing background. You know, how can I do something which is three or four seconds, which is grabby, that's well, maybe fifth seconds, which is grabby and is going to bring people in um, and make them get past the first bit of it. Then you have your kind of title theme music. And I get into the bit where I introduce a bit more seriously the, uh, the you know, the theme of the episode. And then again, that's a sort of slightly longer piece, perhaps more considered. That gets us to the head of fact thing, where um, which which really is a device to get some really boring stuff out of the way in a slightly mm -hmm. joke. This is a fake newsroom type of way, and the head of fact just gives the biog. Um, we get that from LinkedIn. Sometimes we don't like it, so we rewrite it, or we have to get up the web, whatever. Uh, and then the head of themes is really there just to be kind of rude about my yeah. lack of skills and dance. Um, to give a bit of humor to it but also to give you know a, another flavor of what's going to come up you know because there is a thing in instructional design i know i'm going to tell you what we're going to teach you about yes and at the end of it uh, then i i tell you what i'm teaching you about at the end i tell you what i taught you about that that stuff people use all the time as an instructional device so we kind of do that with the themes you know it's what it's going to be about but all the time it's trying to excite the desire for people to want to listen to the whole thing. Yes, you're going to tell me about AI. Brilliant. I've never heard about that before. I'm gagging to know, you know. Um, and by the time we got to that point, it's kind of hit the the music for, all right, so now the um, the, the interview begins. Yeah. So, you, so, so what's nice that, that, you're, that you're mentioning is you bring the engagement right up front where you're dropping somebody immediately into the learning, giving them a taste of, what's to come, but still having it be informative. I, I think this uh, this goes kind of opposite to how I, the e-learning experiences that I've I've taken or, or different instruction where it seems that they want to load the logistics up front. Um, they, you know, they want to make sure that they're stating the purpose or, you know, what's to be learned often in what feels like the driest way possible by putting the objectives on screen. It's almost like instructional design gets its own, in, in its own way where we're focused on good instructional practice and lessening on engagement. What are some of the other obstacles that you see that keep us kind of from innovating in that in that learning space or making it more engaging? I know exactly what you mean there. I mean, there's a really good question. So many things, and it's not just, um, you know, kind of... Uh, e-learning packages that have all that very tiresome housekeeping and throat clearing at the beginning uh, you get it with webinars as well and you know I very often log on to webinars because I think I can learn something from them and I'll kind of do me emails for the first 10 minutes while they're all you know because that bit is very boring so the, the I mean the real intention of what I described with everything that we do at the beginning of the learning hack is to animate the throat clearing and the housekeeping 
to give it a kind of jokey form. Like, we know you're bored with this stuff. we got to do it. Yeah. So that it, it draws people in. And so, so straight away, they're not in a, in a thing where, you know, I can go to sleep now for five minutes. Because you do, your brain does that when it's like, now we're going to show you the learning objectives and go through those in horrible detail while, you know, your your engagement just kind of dribbles out. Yeah. I think as well, it's something that I've I, I done a huge amount about instructional design. I've, I've worked with a lot of instructional designers. Obviously, I've done great minds on learning thing and, and seen all the literature. I know that in some companies, content creation companies, there's a rather slavish adherence to things like the Gagné's nine points of instruction. And if you follow those too slavishly and without working to kind of bring it to life, you end up with a very dull beginning to things. And, mm -hmm. You know, and then e-learning programs can get very samey because, you know, learning designers move from one company to another and they take the same praxis with them and they're, there isn't necessarily a head of learning design who, who, who has the time to pour creativity into each new program, so that they get a bit formulaic. Yeah, that, that can, but it's inimical to to learning because, as Nick Shackleton Jones um, says in his book, um, "How People Learn," you know, the effective domain is really important in learning. You can't learn anything unless you care about it. So your first duty really is to make people feel that it's worth learning about this stuff or even hearing about this stuff or even listening to you. You know, you, you have to kind of grab them by the butt buttonhole in some way. Yeah. And then I guess, do you have any, you know, because each, each episode of The Learning Hack does come across as useful and i think that's that's at the basis of what we do is is you know is what's being discussed or is this new not bit of knowledge is it going to help me um is going to help me with a task that i have to complete is it going to help me um learn something more about learning sciences but um the, the engagement kind of seems to be designed in in hand with that and after speaking with all these folks are are there i guess what are some of the big uh trends that keep popping up or, or whether that's a, the cycle, the the problems that L and D keeps falling back into, or or what are what are some of the trends and topics that you notice? Yeah, I mean there are perennial things, and it, it and it's a challenge not to because they're important things very often. I mean one one thing that's come out again and again, or come out of you know great minds on learning as well as the learning hack is, you know, learning is a process; it's not an event mm. thing in event, you know. With, with all due respect to video, which has a, a, a really important part in in the kind of uh, toolbox of skills you can use for a learning program. Yeah. It's not it. You're not going to get, unless unless it's you want to do something like learn how to tie a bow tie, then straight to YouTube. And Yes. You know. Yeah. A, a kind of micro skill, as it were. Um, brilliant for that. Um, but But... The event itself isn't going to do it. The learning happens, in a sense, after the learning program's over. Um, that comes up again and again. Uh, and another thing is you, you talk particularly about L&D, the position of L&D within the organisation. Very conscious of that because I just did a, an interview with um, Michelle Parry Slater. Mm -hmm. She's written a, a very good book, the, the, the L&D Handbook. Yes. And she has an interest in organisational design, um, organisational development, rather. Um, and the context of use, 
that that is I did a whole series of interviews called Talking to the Business um, for for a client where I talked to people in companies of different sizes about how they get on with the business. The place of L and D within the organisation is one that comes up again and again. So it's a bit of has a few image problems. And... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think in in particular, I, I remember. I, I think we, you know, we we'd spoken a ways back about, um, you know, the role in D and and how in particular, uh, L and D does have a marketing problem where, um, you know, we see ourselves as you know uh, vital to the business. We're able to service business problems, but our interventions, whether they're in in systems and environment or whether in the uh, courses or, or tools that we create, it's it's something that. Uh, I know that we have difficulty uh, getting the word out about, or we, you know, we, we think that, you know, if we create this intervention, people will come uh, to it and, and being able to market ourselves out is, is a skill that we're missing, whether that's calling attention to a campaign that you're running or making sure that you uh, are marketing your projects within the organization itself. Um, I'm wondering if you, you know, given your extensive marketing background is it is there anything anything that 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 we can learn or that we can start doing so we can make sure that our campaigns are landing or that they have the right support or that they'll run through all the way to completion this is the the third thing that comes up again and again you know yeah and people perhaps it's just because people ask me but what can training learn from marketing yes and i i I think it's a real double-edged sword i think there, there are some marketing techniques which are really important um for learning people to learn now that everything has put things online you start creating digital products online you need to 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 know about these marketing principles and the important things around engagement um memorability which advertising people are very good at and uh the 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 sense of time the 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 way that you use time and this is more really a, a a a, th- a thing to do with the creative arts, how, how in a, in a something like a video or over the the, the course of a of a podcast or a piece, mm-hmm. sculpt the time as it were, were during during that. But the, to, to come can, back, can you can you explain a little bit more about what you mean about uh, uh, sculpt the time? Yeah, I've, I'm I'm kind of slightly getting off the subject of marketing here, more to what I've learned from my kind of background, creative background. There is a big creative input into learning nowadays, mm-hmm. especially if you're creating a video. It's a creative act, you know. If you're even if you're writing a blog, whatever. Um, and what I've learned from that, it, it's very much about kind of controlling the the ebb and flow of time. I've, I'm seeing that that phrase "sculpting of time" in a very pretentious way from one of my f- favorite filmmakers, um, Andrei uh, Tarkovsky who wrote a, a book called Sculpting in Time, because he believes that's what films are about, is sculpt in time. And they are an object lesson, his films, <clears throat> in that, because they, they stretch the elastic of your attention to the point and beyond the point of boredom um, in a way that's quite extraordinary, and, and yet you sit through it. And then suddenly there's this big event that absolutely knocks you sideways, and it's a deliberate technique. Only he could get away with it, I think. But it does make you think about how we use time, how we experience time within uh, within a story. Um, and that, that thing that I was talking about earlier of doing a cold front that's, say, 30 seconds, then an introduction that's, say, you know, um, 45 seconds, and 
bits like that, the bits of time get longer. You you have to be really conscious of that. If you if you watch a movie, you know all about this um, instinctively, but you wouldn't necessarily ex uh, be able to explicitly say it. But movies are chunk tend to be chunked into five, twenty minute segments, and something happens at the end of those segment that at, at each segment that propels you on to the next bit. And, and screenwriters are very familiar with all this stuff, and there, there is a big literature uh, uh, about it. So anyone who engages with kind of long-form creative content, um, or even short-form creative content, you know, you listen to an English pop single of the 80s, uh, get stop, watch out, the chorus will arrive exactly one minute into a three. Mm -hmm. And I've worked, I've had a hit single, um, I've worked with uh, commercial producers, and, and they do that. And they, everyone who works in the creative uh, industries have heuristics around lengths of time. It's like it's like it's like the the midpoint of a film. The midpoint of the film is in the story where yeah. uh, the protagonist probably is. It seems like they're it's their lowest point. They're unable. They run into the big problem that it seems like they won't be able to overcome it. And then the expectation is that yeah. um, you're going to uh, over the next the the remaining half of the film they're going to overcome that uh, and you're going to watch the rest of that journey. But everything up until that midpoint is leading up to the halfway mark yeah absolutely and i think this after you know when you watch so many films and tv box sets as i have it gets a bit wearying because you feel yeah. you're just trotted like little ponies with the traces now when you make the break from that and you go to an art house movie like the tarkovsky stuff you on the other hand you, you kind of sit there and think what what's yeah. going on <laughs> it's supposed to sit here and, and watch this 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 wooden barn in the the forest burn down in real time Yes, going on because we we are so so used to that, and we're kind of you know without getting into the hidden persuaders stuff and um, conspiracy theories and Adam Curtis or the rest of it, we 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 have been conditioned to yes right for, for our attention spans to work in, in in that kind of way. You know, twenty minutes is a is a reasonable time for attention span, but uh, in lesson planning with a teacher, you know, they, they tend to be kind of forty minutes. We've probably got about half an hour of active time. 20 minutes is as long as you can hold people's attention on complex subject before they need some kind of breather or break. You know, you might need to throw a board rubber at someone's head or. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's the, the, the crux of a lot of uh, a lot of. I, I keep coming back to e-learning because that, that, that's a, uh, a a place I'm more familiar with. But uh, and where e-learning se seems seems to miss out is that they tend to add more and more content or things that require more and more attention the later on in the course. How much you're giving somebody at a at a particular moment in their course, and whether or not they're engaged at, at that pace, or else uh, you'll 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 probably lose them. When, when you talk about those the the, the way that in a creative uh, piece of work you sculpt time, in learning it's completely different because the you know, what you're trying to do is different. And and here's where the difference between marketing and training comes in. That, you know, with ADA structure, which is a marketing heuristic, you know, attention, interest, desire, action. Um, the first part of that is really useful. The second half is really different because there's no buy button on the program. You know, you're trying to do something very different. Um, and in fact, you know, we, we, we really ought to be careful with this word learning because it's it, it's been heavily abused in our industry, but also it covers a, a huge number of different things. You know, in one sense of learning, yes, 
the Great Minds on Learning is, is a learning podcast because you'll learn something from it. You'll know something at the end of it you didn't know before. Whether you remember it or not, I'm not sure. It, that would rely on you to, 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 to carry on with your learning and go and read one of the books or, or, or something like that. Um, the, the, there's this thing, the Ebbinghaus curve, that you know I've, I've written a white paper about, and people are probably fairly familiar with. That you, if you, if the type of learning that you're doing is that you want to embed a knowledge really securely in people's heads, so they can then go and practice it, where mm-hmm. they really learn it, you need to make sure that you escape the Ebbinghaus curve, which you know up to the first. After 20 minutes, you've forgotten 50% of what you've heard, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, after another half an hour, a bit more, a bit more, the next day, <laughs> less remains. Um, so your kind of recaps in, in a learning program and your, your wake-up points are really important because you're, you're dealing there with a, a kind of, not so much a, a, a kind of rule of thumb heuristic as you as a movie maker or a screenwriter would, you're, you are dealing with something which is scientific, which is how do we, you know, and and it and it's in the literature. It's you know how do we escape that? Uh, and then there are other things come into it like cognitive load. So, um, you know, you go to see a film like uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. It is cognitive overload. It just comes at you like that, and you come out of that cinema feeling exhausted. Uh, you, you've learned nothing. You would ne- a learning program like that would teach you absolutely nothing. Uh, because of cognitive overload, if if the cognitive load is too high, and this is in the work of Sweller, I think, um, then the the information just doesn't go in, and and it's one of the reasons that when you look at people like kind of Rich Clark, uh, Mayer, and so on, uh, Nasser Reeves, and and you focus on how you ought to structure learning content as opposed to um, entertainment or artistic content, it's about really keeping it simple. You know, you, you don't necessarily want text on the screen at this point at the same time as the audio. You know, what what is the relationship between images and audio? Um, and it's an interesting thing with podcasts. that it, It's such a useful medium for learning because you strip out the visual element. You know, the, 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 the point there is that the two are very different things. And it's when you look at the kind of back end, if you like, of, of a learning intervention that, that really the science comes into play. Mm. So, so, so two things that I was thinking about is, um, one is, you know, you're talking about making sure that we differentiate from marketing best practices, Ada and, and learning design. I think that there's something to be bar, you know, you're, uh, there's something to be even more borrowed from the m- marketing principles, especially focusing on that action, get, getting somebody to take action. I think that with learning, a lot of it is uh, the the learning that is not as useful or or not perceived as useful is the the, the learning that's not you uh, used at the end of the course. You know, it, you're not going to drive performance if somebody doesn't change their behavior or their, their actions when they come up to a certain problem. And so, I think uh, I would argue that maybe we can we can still use Ada, but maybe configure that last A a little bit differently where you should be using your e-learning to drive action and it should always one of the things that we always uh, coach folks on who are creating video learning is that you should end with a call to action whether that's um to it it could be you know read this book or it could be email your manager your response on 
on this uh, this particular uh, your response to this scenario, having them apply something uh, as a means of driving action. So um, you uh, that's just one thing that that I would push back on. That maybe we need to be a bit more urgent in learning if we want to really focus on on impact more immediately rather than you know just in case uh, you you have this information. Um, you, you should you should think about it. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're you're absolutely right there that you need to get people to go beyond just the learning program. It doesn't end mm-hmm. at that moment because what happens is is so important. So you know, I mean, that that's a good corrective. I think it is worth emphasising though the difference in intention with, mm-hmm. with with what we're trying to do. You know, with marketing, with you know, particularly with advertising, you're just trying to get people to buy stuff. <laughs> It draws on science as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite well documented how you know Freud's um, relative Bernays came to America and taught people how to excite the drives and the desires, so that you know Madison Avenue could um, start turning us all into desire-driven consumers. Um, and and that's the aim of marketing. It's it, it's to to sell you stuff. Um, training uses the same psychology, the same brains, the same same squelchy stuff, but but there there will come a difference that you know marketing's really quite amoral. Um, they just want to get you to buy the stuff. With uh, a training program, you might be what you're trying to get people to do might be to do the right thing. Mm. Now, marketing isn't about getting people to do the right thing most of the time, unless you're kind of you know you're working in an advertising agency that's working on behalf of the government that's trying to tell people how to cross the road without getting run over um then you start to fall into learning really you know well i i think a, a distinction that that i'm picking up from from your explanation is maybe we're marketing the the once the person has purchased the item the the goal is complete the job is done whereas in learning maybe it's the you want them to take actions to uh create a n- new behaviors and habits but it's really about um like you said it's learning is not just a one shot uh a one shot it's not about one particular moment it's about changing the way that we make decisions and so that action should be in service of you know someone's further professional development where they come up to a problem they're able to make decisions using that action but also correcting sort of the way that they're thinking um, obviously, it's beyond looking. It's about looking beyond the content piece. Yes, and looking into the context of use and you know the the workflow, um, and, and and so on. Ad- yeah, addiction is a terrible thing, but it, it, it's at one end of a spectrum of obsessive behaviours that uh, another end of that spectrum is very useful. That, that 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 you know, if you look at look at kind of compliance training, you know, how can we make sure that every time a person does this task. They will. They will do that step. They will not leave that step out. They will not get the company fired, the company ban- made bankrupt, or themselves fired. They won't cause injuries to their fellow workers and so on. Um, so, so you're caught up in this thing of, you know, as I say, a spectrum. You don't want to addiction, but you kind of want people to be addicted to the right process or to the right behaviours or to doing the job properly and so so you're you're swimming in the same space all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I think the the kind of intentionality is different i mean training tends to lag training technology tends to lag behind marketing quite a bit um 
marketing technology tends to lag behind porn technology. <laughs> yes. Marketing is yeah. dirty little thin bits. Yes. You know, what happens in porn today will happen in general marketing tomorrow because it, it's to do with the technology adoption curve. And training is at the back of that kind of queue in a way. It moves slower because it has to be because the intention is really to, generally, is to make lives better and safer for, for people at, at work rather than to, you know, to encourage their kind of narcissism and um, bad drives. So, so maybe then the problem to tackle that I see from a training, training and learning perspective is that a lot of what we do is push where we say, this is what you need to learn now. Um, this is important. Um, when you run into this problem, do this instead. And and so we're often pushing things on the people. Whereas I feel like marketing is more of the, the, the pull where it's like the opportunity to do something. Uh, it's, it's, you didn't even know this problem and it's kind of affecting change uh, without kind of, it, you can't force someone to buy something. So it, it forces marketing to be a bit more creative about how they uh, target their audience and how they define uh, what it is that action or that decision they're trying to change. And so w w what are what are some different ways that, that we can um, we can communicate with our audience to make I, I wouldn't say make those learning learning and performance objectives stick. What what is the um, the engagement that we can do up front to 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 build that desire to change? Of course, there is a lot of push in marketing, and we call it spam. It's kind of yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, brand is all about. But we we don't have that 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 luxury in learning, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you know, brand is all about pull, and. Um, people have talked about having a, a powerful learning brand and people have done mm. work on their learning brand within organizations that, that gives a degree of pull. Um, the important thing up front, and this is where video comes in, I think, is that you can help people to care about the subject and, and you can give that pull if you, you create kind of relatable video. You know, you might have, I'd, I've seen a lot of good examples of this, of you know, we want people to care about this so that they'll do the compliance learning. We put a little video up the front. We we throw a lot of kind of money and creative effort, or a certain amount of money, and creative effort into getting that video right. We hire actors and so on so that you've got something, uh, a, a scenario, say, if you're if you're in a healthcare context, um, uh, where, where you can excite people's emotions and it, and it becomes relatable, it's empathetic with their context of use. Uh, if you can get that right, you know, that, that is a kind of massive win in terms of engaging people in, in a piece of learning, which will later become, you know, slightly drier, but mm -hmm. um, it, it's getting the pull in there rather than pushing, as you say. Anyway, and this comes out again in Great Minds on Learning, you know, William James, um, Aristotle, um, uh, Augustine of Hippo, just to name a few, drop a few big, great minds names, all uh, have, have this emphasis on, you know, we are not taught, we learn. The, the, the learner can only learn for themselves with the aid of teachers. It's not a matter of the teacher forcing information into their heads. Um, it's a matter of them kind of, you know, being drawn into to, to, to being an interest and, and, and engaging with the subject. Play, and Plato saw that we were learning this rediscovery of something that we were really knew all along.
Well, I, I guess thinking about that, then you know, in terms of driving that emotion or 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 um, turning on empathy when you're when you're thinking about, um, uh, you, you know, your next learning. I guess, do you have an example of how how you do this? Because I I, I see it in your writing where you know you use a lot of you maybe use a lot of common metaphors to introduce a topic or. Um, you know, when you do your opening monologue for each episode of the learning hack, you do find a way to make make it interesting or relatable, um, so that you go into the episode knowing what to expect. I guess what 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 are some of the ways that you know, if you're a learning designer, you know, you don't have actors and you don't have designers and you don't have a creative cast. What are what's what's one thing that they can do to uh, kind of uh, trigger that empathy if if they're not used to designing in this way to make their learning content a bit more engaging. Well, I think it it, it is sort of things like surprise. You, you you want the title to surprise them. You know, someone kind of opens up a compliance program, for instance, and it says something that that actually sounds quite counterintuitive and shocking. You've got their attention, and you 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 know people can look at sort of. Again, out to um, to normal consumer media and, and to newspaper headlines and to clickbait headlines. Um, I mean, a, a lot of my kind of um, podcast episodes, my sins, less imaginative ones, just have clickbait type principles, um, which involves a bit of exaggeration. Is L and D too inward looking? I'm looking down the list here of of, of titles now. Mm -hmm. um, does workflow learning work? Um, VR gets real. Um, you know, there's something contradictory or, or a question or something in there that might make people, that makes people think that this is going to look at that subject from a different angle. You know, there'll be something in here. And, and occasionally a bit of catastrophism, I suppose. <laughs> you know, why does it have to be so difficult? Um, uh, I'd, you know, a bit of cheekiness. I interviewed Charles Jennings, who I've got huge amounts of admiration for. He's he's, he's a British learning uh, consultant and entrepreneur and so on, um, been in the industry for ages. And he's, he's famous for 70-20-10. And this was massively famous during uh, a certain part of the last 20 years. And you couldn't look anywhere without seeing 70-20-10. Um, and I got him on to interview. I, I know him a bit. We'd bonded over both being guitar players and stuff. Uh, and I called the episode "Got Any Other Numbers, Charles," <laughs> which, which you know, I, I thought many times. I, I kind of put it on. I thought, no, 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 that's much too facetious, and you know, it'll hate me and stuff. But in the end, I stuck with it because I thought people might just, if you chuckle, if you get kind of that instant reaction, you've got a bit of, you know, you've got a bit of effect, of effective something going on there, a bit of effective juice. Where there's so much that we see in business is dry. Dry, dry, dry. It's and so much in, in the in the industry of learning as well. Dry, dry, as well. So oh, that, I think the takeaway there is, you know, engaging curiosity, being surprising, being unexpected. And if you can do that in the in in the format of a what is the headline of your of your next compliance training, that's one way to um, hopefully engage up front. Yeah, how not to die. 
<laughs> exactly. I'll, 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 I'll be thinking about that for my next yeah, few titles. Get that through your stakeholders. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, be dramatic, but uh, within the, the, the uh, confines of your uh, particular business context. Oh, you know, I don't have any stakeholders. I, uh, just people will not kind of listen to it. That's my, you know, my numbers will go down. It's my sanction, but people in learning have a, have a lot of stakeholders who all have to look at it. Uh, in some organizations in, you know, like, like defense, healthcare, and so on, it, it gets very difficult to be able to say anything surprising. But there, there, there's always a way to, to add a bit of effective juice, I think. John, there, there, there's so much more we can talk about, but un- unfortunately, we get we got to wind down for today. But, um, but, but, but for the folks listening, you'll definitely want to catch John on the next episode of his podcast, Learning Hack and, and Great Minds and Learning. Thank you so much for stopping by to chat on, on Video Learning Lab. It's been, this has been fun. Thank, thanks a lot. I, it was a great honor for me. I should reassure people that if you tune into the Learning Hack, I won't be banging on like this. It's much more interesting people than me you'll hear. Uh, sounds good. We'll take it. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. Thanks. We enjoyed it. <laughs>